what he did that delivers us and makes us acceptable. Now, that doesn't mean we can do whatever and live however and say whatever and, and do whatever we want to do. Because if you're a genuine Christian, you don't want to do those things. Because the Holy Spirit lives and moves in you. And leads you away from those things. He was the king of Salem. The, uh, the king of Salem is the king of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. So see... Come in the order of Melchizedek is to take on those same things. Just like the priest before, they would the priest would follow in the line of Levi. And so it says here that he's without father or mother or genealogy, birth, or death record. We're going to see that in just a minute why. Which we know that Jesus didn't do well, Jesus has a father. But it's not a birth father. Essentially, it's part of the Trinity. Without father or mother, because if there was not the genealogy, the idea of implication is eternality. And he was made like the Son of God. Remember how some people have said this is a pre incarnate Christ? Have you ever heard that before? That this was Jesus, how he appeared? Well, here it said he was made like him. So it wasn't him. This is part of my argument as to why Melchizedek is not Jesus. He was made like him, like the Son of God. And he remains a priest perpetually, just as Christ intercedes for us today. He's interceding on your behalf and mine, even now as we speak. And so the names of Melchizedek tell us who to look for when we look for Christ. So that's why he was laying out Melchizedek. He said, look, these are the things of who he was. This is who you need to be looking for. You need to get your eyes essentially off of Abraham and put them on Christ. Bless you. Get your eyes on the right things. And so those were his titles and his names. But we see the greatness of Melchizedek. He talks about that in the beginning in verse 4. See, how great was Melchizedek that Abraham gave tithes to him? Because that was perplexing to them. That didn't make sense. But it was recorded. And they knew that it was fact. And so... Melchizedek and those of the Levitical priesthood are commanded to collect the tithe from Abraham's descendants. They represented God. These men represented God. Now this would be a perfect time to move into a, a conversation about tithing. <laughs> We all know what a, what a tithe is. Tithe, by definition, by the word, is tenth. So a tenth of my increase, my first fruits, what comes in my check before the government comes and starts to take things away from me. You know, I remember in my first class in seminary, it was so funny, somebody asked this question. 
They said, uh, we were like 15 minutes in. You know, we're all excited. We're all, you know, wet behind the ears. We're kind of ready. And somebody raised their hand. They said, uh, Professor, are we supposed to tie on the net or the gross? And I just, I laughed to myself, especially after his, I heard his answer. Because he said, well, do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? <laughs> Which was cute. But scripturally, it's the first thing that comes off. And so my check is $3,200. My tithe is not $20. Have I tithed it if I give $20 or $50? If my check is $3,200, my tithe is $320. That belongs to the Lord. The truth is, my $3,200 check belongs to the Lord. And if He tells me to give more than that, then I need to be doing that. Because if you want to use Malachi, it says tithes and often to rob, which is above 10 <coughs> So, um, getting that area of your life, I'm telling you, I want God to charge of my money. <laughs> well, the money I'm responsible for. I want Him to have that. And you got nothing else. That would be our part too. They collected tithes here as a representation and it was part of the law. That was how God took care of the Levites because they had nothing. They did not get it. They did not get a dis, uh, dispensation of ground. They didn't have anything. They were they were dependent upon everybody giving that and so they could eat and they could uh, survive because they were in service to the Lord. And so here it is. He was they paid tithes to him. And so he's beginning to drive these wedges into the heart and mind of those in Israel about there's one beyond Abraham. Melchizedek genealogy, it says here in verses 4 through 10, it comes back to it, and it says it was not traced. That's why, it's not because he is eternal that we don't have that. It wasn't traced. We don't have the record. So when he says that he was without father and mother. We know he had a father and mother. We just don't know who they were. He has to have had They were not traced. That's why he has no beginning or ending. Because there's no work record. Not because this is Jesus Christ. And so Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now that must have been a complete shocker to them. They were counting on Abraham and the Messiah to come. And here is Father Abraham who the blessing flow, the promises were given, receiving a blessing. And he said, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Well, if you go back and you see who blessed who, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so the lesser would be Abraham is blessed by the greater. So now he says it openly that Melchizedek was more. He was more than Abraham. You can imagine that they're starting to get a little weak in the knees at this point. But the whole point of Hebrews is to lead them out of the school teacher of the law into a relationship with Christ and he has to address the things that they were holding on to instead of him, instead of the Lord. 
So the Lord spoke through Abraham, but even Levi collected and both collected and paid tithes. Now, which is interesting. Because it identifies them as somebody who has to worship as well. Well, if they have to worship, that means there's one there. So he keeps setting them up with this, which is really interesting. This is, I know this scene is kind of quagmire-ish. But it's important. And I'm going to, well, I'll show you the importance and how that comes to us here in the end, hopefully. Hopefully the Lord will do that for me. But Melchizedek knew Abraham's father. Because it said that he met Abraham when he was in the loins of his father. Did y'all follow that? So Melchizedek was old enough that he knew Abraham's father. It says he met Abraham when he was in the loins of his father. So Abraham had not yet been conceived. And so Abraham had been around for a while. I'm sorry, uh, Melchizedek had been around for a while. Abraham hadn't even started. But that's when he met him. And so he was, you know, do you, there's really not any record of that scripture other than here. And so here's Melchizedek doing the work of God without any recognition. He didn't do it so everybody could see him do it. He did it because he loved the Lord. And so the writer is trying to get Israel to see past Abraham to one greater than him. The acceptance of that will set them up for the story of Christ, which is what he's going to bring here in probably two weeks. See, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, but Jesus is greater than all. And then we see perfection how perfection was required. And the writer begins to make his argument about how perfection was not achieved through the Levitical priesthood. Now this is a big deal. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is. The, if, I don't know if any of you have studied the sacrificial system, but there was several sacrifices that were meant to be brought um, the one we're going to focus on is the sin sacrifice. So they would once a year come and bless you, and they would sacrifice a lamb, or they would sacrifice an animal, and the blood was spilled for their sins, or the sins of the people. But what it did is it covered the sins of the people, it didn't remove them. It was a covering for sin. So it's kind of this umbrella. But their sins and their responsibility were still upon them. And so it didn't bring them to that point of perfection of being free from that. Being free from their sin and the debt that's required of sin. It didn't do that. It just covered them. And so if perfection could have been brought through the law, why do we need somebody else? If we can get there mature as Christians by our behavior, why do we need faith in Christ? If it's just how we act, then we just have to control how we act and then we're fine. It's because it's something more. To be in the presence of God, you have to be perfect. 
That's a, that's a, that's some stiff requirements. I mean, I heard some pretty high requirements, but that's right on up there, isn't it? You have to be righteous and holy and perfect. Do you have anybody in here that fits the bill? Bible said where two or three are gathered in my name. So yes, and in him we need those requirements. Because he doesn't just cover my sins. He removes them. He removes all of them as far as the east is from the west. I'm glad he didn't say the north from the south. Because there's a point there's a point on this planet that the north and south need. Points. But the east and the west never meet. Isn't that crazy? None of that works that way? Oh, God can come up with something like that. It makes sense. And so perfection was achieved through the Levitical priesthood, and another priest, according to Melchizedek, wasn't needed. They couldn't just stay with the order of Aaron. See, we think of Levi, but it goes all the way back to Aaron. If you study Genesis and you start to go through there, that's where some of the explanations of the sons of God come from out of the political line of Aaron, which we will not delve into this morning. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? The sons of God? Good. That's something for you to go on instead. That'll be an interesting one. Don't get all confused by it. Don't try to don't try to figure it out. It's it, it doesn't change at all how you know. So perfection was required. Jesus is a priest according to the likeness of Melchizedek. But here's the thing. He came from the tribe of Judah, changing the priesthood and changing the law. See, the Bible says that there's a new law written in our hearts. The law of grace. The law of new life in Christ. Have you ever read that? you ever thought about that? What it meant? What would the law mean to Israel? It was a guide to them on how to live, right? They were to follow it. They... They organized their life around it. Well, the new law that's written in our hearts comes from Jesus Christ, the conviction on how we should live and how we should be. And He leads us in that we follow Him. We walk in His righteousness. And so... Jesus became our priest not because he met the law's requirements, but because of the power of an indestructible life. Because he was eternal. See, Jesus is acceptable because he's perfect. He met the requirements because of who he was. Not because of what he did. And that's 
part of the transition from the law to grace. We meet the requirements, not because of what we do, but because of who we are now in Christ. Because of being in Him and Him being in us. And it's really amazing to me how parallel some of this is with what's going on in the Christian world today. This doesn't have, this, these passages, this particular passage, the second half of it, doesn't have those exciting verses that we all love to hear, you know, and, and get, but this is a critical understanding of moving from self-effort to faith in the one who did it for you. Because we will tell you, you know, it's actually an old, it's an old heresy, and you would hear it all the time in church. Well, if you take the first step, God will help you the rest of the way. You ever done this for So now it's a partnership between me and God. It's not that He saved me. Let me tell you something. If God don't help you to take that first step, you will take it. <laughs> There's an ancient heresy in uh, Arianism that talked about really the, the self the, uh, life that you give up everything. And we have monks that do that today. The self, um, just beating up of the self, and any desires are all sinful desires. And then there's, anyway, we're not getting all the ancient heresies when we hear further. But it, it's wrapped up, it's very subtle, it sneaks in to the things that we believe. And listen, we have to toe the line on truth, ladies and gentlemen. Truth matters. If it doesn't matter, then we can just do whatever and be whatever and be a country club and just make everybody in here feel good. Listen, when I read this word, sometimes it makes me feel it all it always makes me feel good, but sometimes it's because it corrected. That's not always fun. But let me give you something to leave here with today. What did you learn from Melchizedek to shadow? Jesus is more than you think. Jesus is more than you think. You know, we have a tendency to think of him historically, don't we? When we think about Jesus, we either think about the things he did in the Gospels, the miracles that he did, when he fed five Really, it was more than 5,000. It was 5,000 men and women and children. So, I would say at least 15 or more. We think of the cross. We think of the Sermon on the Mount. Is that what you think of when you think of Jesus? I mean, we do, don't we? We think of him in the Gospels. Let me give you something to think about. You know, the Gospels were essentially Old Testament. When did the New Testament begin? At the cross, right? Which is at the end of the Gospels. They were under the law in the Gospels. We don't think like that because it's in the New Testament. But we think of him historically, we don't think of him today and what he's up to today. We don't think of him in heaven praying for you by name. Being touched by the feelings of your weaknesses 
when you feel you're all alone and nobody cares, Jesus is there. When you're lacking direction and you're not sure where to go with your life, and usually it's because we're hunting the wrong things, He is willing to lead you. Jesus is the Word, the Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shows me where I am and where I'm going. We are wrapped in His righteousness today, which is what makes us acceptable. He is active now with us. Don't think of Him just historically. Think of Him active and moving and with you in your life today. So he's more than you think. He cares more than you think. He's not a God who just makes decisions and leaves it up to you. He's a God who cares. Don't trade your opportunity to walk with Christ for something lesser from this world. We do it all the time, folks. We do this all the time. I think this is one of our major problems as Christians. Is we will not walk with God because of fear, because it may cost us something, because we're not sure where it's going to go, and we want to be safe and comfortable, we want to be in that zone where everything works, nothing is at jeopardy, nothing is at risk, we're okay, you're okay, God has blessed my life. Right? I know when you get quiet, I'm getting close. That's how we define God, essentially. And we trade not sharing for job security. We trade not taking a stand for Christ because people are going to say we hate. Because we say there is only one way. And they're going to call us intolerant. We don't want to call it because it might jeopardize our opportunity to share Christ with them. Really? You're already not sharing. It's amazing how the enemy works this stuff into our mind. We just swallow it. Well, but Pastor, you don't understand. There's people I know that already hate the Lord. I know. Anybody here have somebody who's openly contrary to God that you know that's in your circle of look around? You ain't the only one. They're out there, but they're not beyond the hand of God. And if they're on your heart, they're on your heart for a reason. See, they were holding on to this old relic of what God had done. It's like when the ark came along and started worshiping the ark instead of the God of the ark. We worship the things of God instead of the God of them. And I think we need to change our... We have a paradigm. I remember they did this to us because we used to inspect circuit boards and stuff. They took um, a deck of cards and they flashed them up for us. 
And they and they asked this group, there's probably 500 people in this group. And they said, raise your hand if you saw anything wrong in like three hands or not. Then they slowed it down. And we saw that some of the hearts were black. Some of the diamonds were black. But you see things and you kind of get comfortable in the zone and you don't really see what's going on for real. And I think we've done that in our Christian life. We've got kind of this idea of this good being of how we think life should be. And, you know, if God in, intervenes and it's going to be this, this wonderful thing and I'm going to have all these warm fuzzies and my back's going to stop hurting and I'm going to feel all better. You know, there, I can show you a verse of scripture where God interceded and popped the guy's hip out of place. He had an encounter with God. How many would like to have an encounter with God? <laughs> That's what happened in that. <laughs> so you're going, uh, let me pray about that. All things by prayer and supplication. But we would say, where are you, God? Wouldn't we? We would say, how come I'm going through this? How come you're not here? Instead of looking for the hand of God. Three. Anticipate the hand of the Lord each and every day in and around you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you live that life? How many of you anticipate the hand of God doing something in you and through you and around you each and every day? Do we even give them a thought? We only give them a thought when things are tough, right? He's like a 911. Saved you so it could be a 911 operator. He saved you because he loves you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. We need to anticipate God conversations every time we talk to someone. We need to anticipate that God is going to speak into our life through maybe the cashier. They may say something that been something we were pondering. And all of a sudden, it all opens up to us. That's happened to me before. I had people whip around in line when I was checking out and just asking something that had to do with God. And I was like, what? I shouldn't have said it. I should have been anticipating that. <laughs> I know that seems crazy. But God's at work all People out there are pining. For hope. They're pining for direction. And if we hold on to relics, the things that God did, instead of God himself, we're going to miss the point. In other words, the young man that had been raised an atheist, he was training to be an Olympic diver. And the only religious Christian influence that he had in his life came from this outspoken Christian friend. And this guy kind of never paid him any attention. You got friends like that that you share with, and, and you're like the crazy Christian who you think you, you feel that way, right? Um, or maybe you don't. Maybe not sharing. But this guy would share with him, and where he, him, he never seemed to pay any attention to it. Well, one night, um, it was late, 
And the diver went to the indoor pool at the college that he attended. The lights were all off, but the pool had these big skylights above, so he could see enough to get up the, the platform and get up there. And he was up on top, and he stood there, and he was getting ready to do his, his backflip dive. And the moonlight came through the, the skylight, and he hit his body, and he saw the shadow of the cross. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to him and said, you need to be saved. Because his friend had been sharing with him, with no visible, he knelt down on that platform and prayed and received Christ at that moment. Just then, the janitor showed up and cut the lights on and said, Hey, what are you doing up there? He goes, oh, I was just going to practice. And he said, No, sir. We drained the pool for repairs yesterday. And so, don't miss the point of the shadow. The point of the shadow is it leads us to the cross. That's what Melchizedek is for. He leads us to Christ. That's what this is for. I know it seems like a Christ mark, but it leads us to Christ. And if we miss Christ, then we're missing the whole thing. Amen? Listen. What has the Lord been speaking to you about? This morning, maybe this is a turning point for you. This is a turning point. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you about something that nobody knows about but you and him. Let's not miss the opportunity to walk with him. Let's not miss the shadow. Let's not miss the reality for the shadow. I'm asking everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.